Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be covering a movie from the 1950s about evil scientists who want to use long-distance electrodes to power the brains of dead men to do their bidding. No, not Plan 9 from Outer Space, not The Bride of the Monster. It's another movie with a very similar premise. Uh, this was sort of in the air, apparently. This is 1955's Creature with the Atom Brain. Which has always been a confusing title because I think for a while I even just would read it as Creature with the Atomic Brain mm-hmm. because what would Atom Brain even mean other than possibly Super Small Brain? That, that I was th- yeah, it, it seems like a, an advance on the insult pea brain. You know, you go <laughs> down to pea brain, and then what's below that? Atom brain, I guess. Yeah, but no, it's it's essentially in the same vein as atomic brain. Uh, but uh, yeah, but not not only is this like perhaps an idea of a reduced brain, also reduced runtime. This one comes in at a slim sixty nine minutes. The the one of the reasons we picked it for this week was that we had a super long movie last week, and we had a short week this week so it seemed like a good time to dip back into the 1950s 69 minutes uh that's i don't know that, that's kind of on the long side for these movies <laughs> i think uh, attack of the crab monster is is more like 63 yeah some of those uh corman and corman s pictures come in at an hour or less <laughs> so uh, uh yeah they, they can get shorter now the other fun thing about this pick is that it inspired a Rocky Erickson song. Rocky Erickson was a, if not the Texan psychedelic rocker uh, who lived 1947 through 2019, um, did a number of songs that 
were inspired or referenced horror movies or horror movie themes. And so it's kind of a treat to get to talk about a movie that he strongly and directly references. I think another one we've talked about is possibly 1959's The Alligator People. But yeah, today's movie inspired the Rocky Erickson track of the same name, Creature with the Atom Brain, which you can find on the 1981 album, The Evil One. I first heard this album, I'm pretty sure in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was hanging out with a a friend uh, and he put this on while we were playing chess and uh, and it quickly became one of my favorite albums of all time, though it's one that I think is apparently not for everybody. Uh, I I thought it was just great, but uh, I took the evil one like back to school with me in the fall and, uh, you know, I was playing it for all my friends and I feel like a lot of them just weren't into it, but it's one of my favorite rock and roll records ever. Uh, yeah. Two headed dog, the wind and more bloody hammer, uh, uh, cold night for alligators, night of the vampire creature with the atom brain, the hits never stop. Yeah. I think you, you, you originally turned me on to, to Rocky Erickson and it, it took a little while for it to really get its hooks into me. Uh, this album in particular, uh, but uh, eventually it did, and so I, I come back to it pretty frequently. They're they're pretty uh, often pretty hard hitting songs. There's you know pretty heavy stuff at times, and the the lyrics are tremendous fun. But uh, I want to say that while a number of songs on this fantastic album, the album is very monster themed overall, and while a number of songs on the album make oblique reference to identifiable monster movies, for example, the the alligator people, there, there's a song on there uh, called It's a Cold Night for Alligators. It talks about uh, you know, how the dogs choke on their barking when they see alligator persons in the bog and fog. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure the song Night of the Vampire must have something to do with a, a particular vampire movie. That's the one where if it's raining and you're running, don't slip in mud, because if you do, you'll slip in blood. Mm. That's just logic. Um, but anyway, so the, a lot of these other songs, the references are kind of, uh, you know, oblique allusions. But this one is just head on. The song is called Creature with the Atom Brain. It's about a movie called Creature with the Atom Brain. And the song at multiple points, just uh, Rocky starts reciting dialogue from the film. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty dead on. And I I looked around. I I've never read any any books, you know, dedicated biographies about Rocky Erickson. But I I found um, an article from this uh, interview from the Quietus. Uh, I'm not sure what year this is, this is, but uh, titled "Getting to Grips with Rocky Erickson." And uh, there's a part where they they ask him. The the interviewer says, "What's your favorite horror movie?" And Rocky Erickson says, "Quote: I like the creature with the atom brain, and I like the giant cricket." I like them too a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that to go on. Uh, okay. I, the Giant Cricket, I think, I'm not sure. He might be referring to 1957's Beginning of the End. But yeah, pretty Ooh. pretty strong on the creature with the atom brain here. Um, maybe there's some other interviews where he goes into it more. But there is something, it is interesting to think about because on the surface, if you watch this movie not knowing it was anyone's favorite, you might guess that it is no one's favorite. Like there are a lot of fun things about it, but... It doesn't necessarily scream top-tier 50s sci-fi horror, but it does some things extremely well. There, you know, there's some moments that are far creepier than you might expect them to be. And the ones that I kept coming back to were these moments where 
our antagonist, Buchanan, who we'll get into and who is referenced in Rocky's song, is using super science to compel the dead to do things or speaking through the dead. And um, I don't know, I, I, I kept coming back to that, thinking about you know, trying to, to figure out what, what Rocky found so fascinating about this movie. I, I agree with that assessment. I totally had a great time watching this, but I don't think it is top tier in any dimension. It's not like a truly great 50s sci-fi film in terms of uh, being scary or having interesting science fiction uh, premises or uh, or in human drama, any of that. It's also not one of the most notable in terms of excesses of cheese. Like, it's not in, uh, in uh, Ed Wood territory. You know, this is a competently made film. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it does have some things that are working uh, in both directions. And overall, it's a fun ride. And it just moves right along. This is not a slow or dull film. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does really, really move right along. So uh, anyway, it'd be interesting to to keep all this in mind. And again, we also have to drive home. You don't have to have any kind of like um, specific reason to champion a particular horror movie or sci-fi movie that no one else does. I don't know. You know, this is just one that stuck with Rocky Erickson. And uh, he made it into a great song. So there you go. Sorry, I just put this together. You mentioned that. So he said the other one that might be his favorite is the giant cricket. And you think that might be beginning of the end. If that is correct, beginning of the end is a Bird Eye Gordon film. Oh, okay. Just had to flag that. There might be something else that could be classified as the giant cricket. But uh, uh, this is the main one I came across. And it seems to be in that sweet spot of 50s films that he's into. This is the one. It, doesn't it have um, like one of the special effects shots in it? Is uh, Bird Eye Gordon had a regular size cricket crawling over like a postcard of the New York skyline? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, that's smart. All right. Well, elevator pitch for the creature with the atom brain. The, the the best I could come up with is Popular Science Magazine, June 1955, the horror movie. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Because there is a, a real feel of I just I just caught up on the latest uh, you know bleeding edge science and now I'm going to write a script for a horror movie that we have to make next week. Uh, you know I've got another take on it. So if Ed Wood originally sold Bride of the Monster as Bride of the Atom, this is like they're exploring more stuff in that space. Uh, we already did Bride of the Atom. What's a, how about entry level employee of the Atom? And I think that that's sort of the premise here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and listen to that trailer audio. This is a pretty good one. Fission science creates an electronic monster so terrifying, only screams can describe it. Come back home. Come back home. According to the evidence, Hennessy was murdered by a creature with atom rays of superhuman strength and a creature that cannot be killed by bullets. I said I would live to see you die. I just came from the bureau. They checked the murderer's fingerprints. His name is Willard Pierce. They let me have it from the files. Petty theft, fraud, three months in prison, tuberculosis. How could a tubercular man have strength enough to break those bars like that? You think that's something? Answer this one. 
how could a dead man have strength enough to do it? Fantastic, but based on scientific fact. Please. How low do you fly? You will stop all planes and trucks searching for radioactivity. If you do not, many people will be killed. There will be no other warning. Hello, hello, hello. They hung up before I could put a tracer on it. Slow down, Dave. Dave, did they... There you go. Based on scientific fact, this is a, this is a film that, uh, that that screams to be viewed. This is hard science. Yeah, hard science. This is like uh, this is like Asimov. <laughs> All right. If you're before we go any further, if uh, if if you would like to watch this movie uh, before you get into the discussion, well, you can you can you might catch a stream or two um, here or there, but. The surefire way to view it is to pick up some physical media. There are a couple of nice collections that include it. One is the four DVD pack Icons of Horror collection, Sam Katzman, which you can buy wherever you get your your discs. That features the giant claw, creature with the atom brain, zombies of Mora Tau, and the werewolf. Arrow Video also put these four movies out on Blu-ray in the set titled Cold War Creatures, four films from Sam Katzman. And uh, I included a picture of the whole spread here, Joe. This one looks really nice. This is not how we watched it, but uh, this looks splendid. If you, uh, I, I can't even look at it too closely. Otherwise, I'm going to be tempted to, to buy this thing, and I don't have the shelf space. Gorgeous. Maybe I'm going to buy it. And then look you at that, that, uh, that Adam-brained creature right there on the cover. Beautiful. The, the, I got to say, the original posters for the creature uh, with the Adam brain are very good because they have a, a sort of like a green guy wearing a long coat uh, with his arms out, outstretched walking towards you. And then uh, instead of having him carrying an unconscious woman, they just have like an upside down woman at the bottom of the poster. They're like, oh, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll have that in there somewhere. But she's just like floating in white space. But then... <laughs> The green guy, his head is a drawing of an atom. So, yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, like the symbol of the atom just uh, yeah, superimposed over his, his skull. All right, well, let's get into the connections on this one. So normally we would, of course, start with the director, but we're going to break tradition here and start with the producer since we just mentioned him. And I think maybe it's it's fitting for this sort of release as well. Uh, and we've never talked about this uh, producer before, but this is producer Sam Katzman, who lived 1901 through 1973. American film producer and director famous for his ability to pump out low-budget features and serials that actually made money. Uh, the genres were all over the place, as you might expect, but they obviously included horror movies. Uh, not only did he do some beatnik films, but I've seen some um, film historians credit him with the creation of the term beatnik. I don't oh. know if that's accurate or not, but at least he was in there enough that some people think he might have just come up with the term. He only directed five films, all of them released in 1937, <laughs> but he produced <laughs> 124 films. 
And and some of the more well-known titles here uh, include some very fun B-movies that I think are, are much beloved. There's 1941's The Invisible Claw and 1942's The Corpse Vanishes. Those are both Bela Lugosi films. There's 1956's The Werewolf, 1957's The Giant Claw. That's a giant bird movie, as I recall. 1957's The Zombies of Moratau and 1967's Kissin' Cousins starring Elvis. Oh, oh boy. Is this one... Okay, question. I haven't seen all the Elvis movies. Does he sing in all the movies or sometimes does he just act? Um, you know, I, I've never watched an Elvis movie all the way through, uh, but I, I assume he does. Why would you put Elvis in your movie if he's not going to sing? I don't know. Elvis uh, Elvis was handsome. Surely. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. I think they make movies with singers where they don't sing. They do. They do. And, uh, you know, I think we've 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 certainly watched some things that had singers in them and they don't sing. Does Chris Christopherson sing in Blade? <laughs> I don't think he no, does. He does not. Well, they, All right. They, well, Elvis, they could have used Elvis in that role. <laughs> Every Elvis movie I've seen a part of includes him singing. But, yeah, I mean, maybe he didn't. I just don't know if he sings in all of them. Right in. Let us know. All right. The director is Edward L. Kahn, who lived 1899 through 1963. I've seen him referred to as the one-week wonder because mm-hmm. he could apparently absolutely pump these movies out. He was uh, kind of your go-to guy. you got a, a B-movie that needs to be made. It's definitely got that B-movie budget. This is the guy that will get you across the finish line. Um, he was all about quantity over quality and was highly pro- prolific in the low-budget film scene for three decades, directing 128 films. A lot of B-movies, certainly didn't win any Oscars or anything like that, but there's some really fun movies in the mix. You might know him from some of his 1950s horror and sci-fi films, some of which have uh, actually wound up on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and the like over the years. There's 1957's It, the Terror from Beyond Space, which uh, is often cited as being very influential and uh, uh, in particular influential on Dan O'Bannon's alien work in uh, the decades to come. How many different movies have we cited as likely inspiring Alien? We're getting to the point where I don't know if it makes sense to say it's inspired by because if it's inspired by like seven different movies, yeah. then that's just synthesis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a whole list of them at this point. But I don't know. I haven't seen it, The Terror from Beyond Space. It'd be interesting to see exactly, exactly what texture uh, or detail he could have conceivably taken from that. Uh, other films from this director include Invasion of the Saucer Men, The Zombies of Moratau, 1956's The She-Creature, 59's The Invisible Invaders, and The Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake. Uh, he did a lot of westerns, action films, bikers, various social exploitation films of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and very early 60s. I have seen a description of his movie, The Invisible Invaders, as being pretty much the same premise as Creature with the Atom Brain, except instead of a gangster and a scientist, it's aliens who are using the who are reanimating the remote controlled uh, corpses. Nice. I mean, you got a winning concept. You keep doing it. All right. Well, that brings us to our the writer of this piece. And this is a writer we've discussed previously on Weird House. This is Kurt Siedmack, who lived 1902 through the year 2000. Um, he wrote the screenplay for 1946's The Beast with Five Fingers, mm. uh, starring Peter Lorre, which we talked about. He also wrote a novelization of, the, of that particular screenplay. 
He was a German-born novelist, screenwriter, and director who left Germany for uh, first the UK and then the US due to concerns over rising anti-Semitism under the Nazis. His um, German output was already pretty successful prior to all this, uh, included a sci-fi film titled FP1 Doesn't Answer about a sort of uh, sci-fi aircraft carrier base. He did British war thrillers and some comedies, but then he struck it big with his 1941 screenplay for The Invisible Man Returns and his original screenplay for 41's The Wolfman, starring Claude Rains, Bela Lugosi, and Lon Chaney Jr. He went on to write a whole lot of screenplays, including Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, 43, I Walked with a Zombie from 43, Son of Dracula, also 43, House of Frankenstein from 44, and many more. He wrote the 42 sci-fi novel Donovan's Brain, which was adapted three times. Also, his brother, Robert Siedmak, was a director uh, known for 1946's The Killers and The Spiral Staircase, among others. You mentioned that he wrote the movie I Walked with a Zombie from 1943. I Walked with a Zombie is also the name and pretty much the entire lyrical content of another song by Rocky Erickson on the album The Evil One, uh, which just repeatedly proclaims I Walked with a Zombie last night. Great stuff. Yeah, de- definitely go go listen to some of this album after uh, you listen to this this podcast episode. As far as the script for this movie goes, you know, I, perhaps nothing special in the grand scheme of things, but I think it does uh, seem legitimately interested in creating something inspired by the frontiers of science of the day, um, maybe on a, on a tight schedule and a limited budget, obviously. But I also thought the dialogue is mostly pretty snappy, even if on the whole the movie feels very explanatory and procedural. Um, reminds me of some of the the serials I've seen from this time period, but better paced, better acted, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get into the cast here. Um, our star is Richard Denning, playing Dr. Chet Walker. Denning lived 1914 through 1998. Now, you, you might well recognize this lean cut of 50s uh, leading man here because uh, he, he did work quite a lot and is probably best remembered, though, for uh, one particular creature feature. Uh, his credits go back to the late 1930s with various adventure films, comedies, and so forth. Um, but in 1954, he starred in Jack Arnold's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Was was he one of the forgettable humans in it? He's the forgettable human in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you look up, if for some reason you're looking up uh, stills from uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and you don't focus on that fabulous monster costume, you'll probably see Richard Denning standing around, you know, shirtless boat, or yeah. on a boat with a shotgun, uh, comforting <laughs> a woman, that sort of thing. I would say Richard Denning is uh, not bad in this movie, but not great either. He he's he's sort of there. He's fine. It's a it's a very workhorse performance. Like, yeah. Does he do anything wrong? No. Is there anything bad? No. Is there anything where you're like, yeah, you really leaned into that and made it more interesting than it should have uh, been? Well, it's hard to make a case for that, but absolutely fulfills uh, the the role here. So uh, after Black Lagoon, he continued to act in war and action films. And really, most of his his output is not sci-fi or horror, but it's just one of those quirks where I, I think a lot for, I mean, Creature from the Black Lagoon casts a far greater shadow than perhaps anything else he was in, um, certainly in terms of things we're likely to discuss on Weird House. Um, but uh, he was also in 1957's The Black Scorpion. I know this is a monster movie you've been tempted to do before, Joe, because it has a kind of a redonkulous looking monster in it i've uh the name sounds familiar but i've forgotten what this monster is i must have sent it your way let me look it up oh yes okay yeah we may have to return to this uh someday sorry i got uh briefly sidetracked because there's apparently another unrelated movie called black scorpion from the 90s that looks like some kind of no. uh i don't know erotic action movie or something yeah, i'm seeing a lot of shiny leather yeah, that's some sort of like uh, syndicated uh, female superhero thing. Now, this one was like a desert monster movie with a big, goofy scorpion monster in it. That sounds right. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'll have to take a look again. He was also in 1955's The Day the World Ended. And if you're if you're looking outside of genre, yeah, he also had a, a pretty, I think, third billing in 1957's Unaffair to Remember, which uh, is uh, you know, a pretty big picture, and, uh, but, but not creature level, not creature level. 
I'd say his role in this movie is uh, somewhat likable, actually, except he's somewhat flip about danger to his child. We can come back to that later, but he really needs a dry martini and he is really into his wife. Yeah, I wasn't really prepared for just how um, all over each other these two are. Um, The the married couple that we have in the film of um, Dr. Chet Walker and Joyce Walker. It is an enthusiastic uh, marital relationship. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though I think they have the 1950s like single uh, pair of single beds in the bedroom. Yeah, they got the uh, twin so beds. Forth. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that, that was interesting. But uh, yeah, uh, Joyce Walker is played by Angela Stevens, who lived 1925 through 2016, uh, 1950s blonde bombshell who pretty much only acted during that decade retiring fairly early on for family reasons. Uh, but she did a nice smorgasbord of B-cinema, westerns, horror, women in prisons, jungle adventures, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, this may well be her her biggest role, uh, but she also has an uncredited role in 1956's The Harder They Fall. Now, what does she do in this film? Um, aside from, you know, being Dr. Chet's loving wife, um, you know, again, for the for the 1950s, especially they're they're kind of all over each other. They are. And she also like she's really keeping up with the news and with the caper, uh, because there are multiple points where uh, like she reveals a detail to one of the investigators or even to the bad guy in the form of a uh, an atom brain zombie who is sitting in her living room playing with her child uh, that, that ends up moving the plot. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so I think that's a good point. Yeah, she's not nearly as as minimal a presence as you you might find the hero's wife in many of these films from the 1950s and so forth. All right, our movie does have a German mad scientist, and it is Doctor Wilhelm Steig, played by Gregory Gay, who lived 1900 through 1993. He was a Russian-born actor who left after the 1917 October Revolution. His first screen role was an uncredited uh, role as an officer in John Barrymore's 1928 silent movie about the final days of czarist Russia, Tempest. But he went on to to bigger, small roles, bigger supporting roles, often playing Russians or Germans, um, often playing diplomats. I think he even shows up on the 60s Batman series at one point playing a Russian diplomat, Mm -hmm. uncredited. Uh, Some of his more visible roles include a bit part as a German banker in 1942's Casablanca, a casino owner in 1960s Ocean's Eleven, and he also pops up in 1961's Blue Hawaii. This starred Elvis and was filmed at the hotel from Death Moon, the Coco Palms Resort. <laughs> it just occurred to me, I can't believe they never made an Elvis werewolf movie. Can you imagine how he could howl? Oh, man. Yeah, I, uh, off the top of my head, I don't Yeah, I don't think any Elvis movies get into, into horror or sci-fi. They're all... Um, they're all based more in just kind of a teeny boppy uh, comedy and drama. Elvis Presley starring in uh, The Werewolf of Makeout Beach. <laughs> it would have been good. All right. We have another villain in this, and it is Frank Buchanan. This is the, the character uh, whose name is referenced in the Rocky Erickson uh, song. Uh, this character is played by Michael Granger who lived 1923 through 1981. He is our, and we'll have to come back to this, I guess, he's our deported American mobster who um, was wandering around Europe, found himself a German mad scientist, and now has returned to seek vengeance on both sides of the law with super science. 
How does one like acquire? So you need a Dr. Fritz to make zombies for you. How do you acquire one? You just you you I, I, I took it to be like the situation where he found this guy. He started financing his work. And then, you know, once you've been financed by uh, someone like this after a while, you know what they're going to do. They're like, it's time to move this project back to the States and begin the next phase, which is Project Vengeance. Project Personal Vendetta. Okay. Now, Granger is pretty interesting because he's an um, yeah, American actor of stage and screen who mostly works small parts uh, on, on, the, on the screen in the likes of 1953's The Big Heat and The Magnetic Monster, one of a, only a handful of movies that Kurt Siodmak uh, actually directed, uh, as well as 1958's Murder by Contract. But he was also very active on Broadway and was in the original Broadway run of Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, now it's been a it's been a long time since I've seen Fiddler on the Roof. I think I saw it as a child, uh, so I haven't watched it in a while. But he plays a, a character, uh, the butcher named Lazar Wolf, not Laser Wolf. Uh, I'm, I'm I assume, but Lazar Wolf, and this would have been from like 1964 through 1972. Oh wow! You know, I do remember it being emphasized as Lazar Wolf. Uh, really? Okay. I don't I don't know if that's how they would actually say it in Russia, but. Uh, uh, but I remember it like scans that way for the lines in some of the songs. Uh, Wolf is the so the oldest daughter, Zytel, is engaged to Laser Wolf, but she doesn't love him. She loves uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the other, I think, uh, Muttle, the tailor. And so there's this whole pl- like uh, like Tevia wants to find a way to get his daughter out of that uh engagement so she can marry the guy she really loves and so he has to come up with this scheme where he he makes up a dream with a bad omen where uh where uh laser wolf's uh wife will come back as a wraith and uh, do you remember any of this no man i don't remember wraiths or anything yeah it's like i just remember i literally just remember the same there's there's someone does sing on a roof right or is that a fabricated memory Uh, plays a fiddle on a roof that's okay that's the part i remember no, okay. Well, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's actually a great <laughs> subplot. So basically, the guy he wants his daughter to be able to marry the guy she loves instead of the guy she's engaged to, and in order to do so, he makes up a fake death omen dream. Hmm. Okay. I, I really need to. I need to see it again. Let's see. Or almost see it for the first time. Anyway, Granger. Uh, I, I really liked him in this. He has a voice that's just as smooth as crushed velvet. And he gives way more charisma to this role than I think anyone was was asking of him. He's he's quite good. I, I don't want to take anything away from Denning because, again, he's he's solid, hits all the right notes. But Granger brings that nice bit of something extra to the role. Like the dialogue is already nice and snappy, but he breathes just a little extra malice and machination into everything, which is especially potent when he is speaking into the minds of the dead or through the dead. Because I think, uh, if, if memory serves, he, the voice we hear come out of most of the, the, the walking dead, the Adam creatures, is the voice of Granger, the voice of Buchanan. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's eerie and effective. Yeah, later they like upgrade their technology so that the uh, Adam brain zombies can speak with their own voice, but they only do that for Dave, I think. Yeah, uh, which is, I think, more plot oriented than anything. We'll get into the end of Dave. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it works that when the earlier ones talk, they speak with Buchanan's voice because they would still be using their vocal cords. But I don't know. Yeah. 
Now, special effects, which I, I guess are not that impressive in this particular film, uh, are, are worth noting here just because they're by Jack Erickson, who lived 1911 through 1978, special effects guy who worked with Ray Harryhausen the same year on It Came From Beneath the Sea, oh. which was also part of the double feature with this very film. That's right, yeah. Um, Erickson also has a special effects credit on the Galaxy Being episode of the classic Outer Limits series. That episode starred Cliff Robertson, but more notable than Robertson, it featured one of the series' more memorable aliens. This was this kind of like weirdly glowing creature that, um, yeah, if you go back and watch any Outer Limits episode from uh, from this time period, that's the one to check out because the, the creature absolutely pops. Galaxy Being. I can't help but imagine that title inspired the title of the later Don Dollar film, Galaxy Invader. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it did. <laughs> Love Galaxy Invader. That one's good. All right, finally, just a note on the music here. Um, it's all stock music, so there's yeah. nobody to single <laughs> out here. Just all stock music. Nothing remarkable about it. No. All right, well, shall we get into the plot? Let's do it. Uh, you know what? Quite strong opening. In fact, I would say I think the best looking shot in the film is the very opening shot. Yes. Uh, so we come up on a kind of a, a silent alleyway in the nighttime with trees and shrubbery crowding in on both sides. And then in the background, in the distance in the shot, there is moonlight pouring in from above in a kind of shaft. And that moonlight is falling on the dark shape of a man shambling slowly toward the camera as nothing but a heartbeat pounds on the soundtrack. And then the credits roll as he wanders in our direction. It's a very, very strong opening. Yeah, it doesn't waste any time. Uh, you know, it's like it's, it's screaming. Okay, kids, stop making out and watch your, I guess, second helping of the double feature. But as I said, I don't think any other shot in the movie is as, uh, artistically composed as this one is. This is the best looking thing we're going to get. Mm -hmm. Now, with my post uh, George Romero expectations, I thought this was going to be a decaying zombie coming toward us because of his shambling gait. Uh, but no, it is a man in a suit and a tie who looks actually pretty normal, except his expression is sort of vacant. He is a stocky, square-featured fellow. Uh, he walks like right up in our faces. And then the next thing we see is him driving a four-door sedan uh, <laughs> around some kind of winding mountain roads. So I was thinking, wait a minute, is he a zombie or not? Because zombies, as generally understood, cannot operate motor vehicles, with the exception, of course, of Jason Voorhees and Jason Takes Manhattan, because I stand <laughs> by my assertion that Jason does drive the boat. Well, as we'll learn, this is a special kind of zombie. This is a super science zombie, so maybe different rules apply. Right. So the zombie, non-zombie guy, whatever he is, he parks his car beside a street lamp outside some large building that, uh, Rob, I, I wonder, what did you initially think this building was? I was like, OK, is he at like City Hall or a, a nice hotel or something? Yeah, it looked uh, like more official like that. I was a little surprised when it turned out to be more of a like a criminal uh, underworld location as opposed to uh, anything uh, concerning like the you know the city government. Yeah, I thought maybe oh maybe this is a bank, but I think it's supposed to be a casino and maybe like an illegal underworld casino. So I don't know why mm -hmm. it's so fancy looking. Um, but yeah, he so he gets out of the car, he shambles toward the building. 
Inside, we see cashiers closing up money-changing stations, uh, and then we see a lackey in a tuxedo taking a bag of money into a spacious office decorated with knickknacks, like there's a a big uh, Easter Island head. And this is the office of Mr. Hennessy, who is the number one head guy in charge of this hotel, City Hall Casino. The lackey reports that the take for the night was 20 grand. Hennessy seems pleased with this. Uh, and Hennessy opens up his wall safe and starts counting the money, narrating into his dictaphone as he does so. And interestingly, he's not counting in terms of uh, he's not like counting the money. He is counting the numbers of individual bills. So he's like this many hundred dollar bills, this many fifty dollar bills. Is that normal criminal behavior? I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside the window, the zombie driver uh, keeps staggering toward the building, and then we see through the zombie's eyes, and then there's an interesting transition. We see through his eyes on a TV screen on screen. So now we're somewhere else in a laboratory. Uh, They make it easy to know where you are by, like, having electrodes emit zapping sounds. Mm -hmm. And there's a TV showing the zombie's eye view, and there are two guys watching it. You've got a stout, gangsterish, gangster-looking man in a suit and a bespectacled scientist in a white lab coat. And the gangster guy is holding a microphone up to his mouth while the scientist is fiddling with knobs. Back at the casino, the zombie bends the bars outside the window to Hennessy's office. He just, you know, grabs them with his hands, bends them back. And then smashes through the glass. He actually, basically, he just like flat hand outward pushes through the window. Uh, There are numerous stunts where uh, like a sort of roundish man goes through a a, a plate of glass, a glass window in this movie. And I was looking at some of the stunt players and one of the guys did this, I think, pretty much the same stunt in The Wizard of Oz uh, Mm. as the Cowardly Lion. So I guess it was just like printed on this guy's business card. Like you need a... You need a, like a slightly rotund actor to go through a window. I'm your guy. And I'll do it just by pushing the glass out. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's trick glass, but still, you have a specialized skill. I don't know. I don't know if I can tell trick glass just by looking at it. I will assume this was a safe set. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So the guy comes through the window. He goes up to Hennessy. He says in a, in a mechanical voice, I told you I'd come back. And here we're getting into one of the bits of dialogue that Rocky Erickson just recites in the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the zombie says, remember Buchanan? And Hennessy says, but you're not Buchanan. The zombie says, I may not look like him, but I am him. Don't you recognize the voice, Jim? I promise to see you die, and I will. Then Hennessy, he whips out a pistol, tries to shoot the zombie, but of course it does no good. The zombie grabs Hennessy, lifts him up over his head, and then we see only a shadow of the two figures cast upon the wall. And in the shadow, the zombie just folds Hennessy like a wallet. <laughs> he just snaps him in half backwards like a Kit Kat bar. Crunch. It is brutal. Yeah, I love this. This is a great use of, of shadow and implying the, the physical violence. Uh, there's another example uh, of, of this later on in the film, but this is the best example of it. Yeah, it just lifts him up in a gorilla press and does this backbreaker death move. And as this was occurring, as he was like setting this up, especially where you see an actual zombie grab a good dude, grapple him and lift him up. I was like, I bet this guy's a wrestler. Mm. Sure enough, 
This <laughs> at role is played by former pro pro wrestler Carl Killer Davis, aka Crippler Carl, who lived 1908 through 1977. Uh, I was not familiar with this guy, but apparently he was a big heel in the 30s and 40s. He got his first acting break playing one of the I think 10 strongmen who opposes Mighty Joe Young in 1949's Mighty Joe Young, alongside uh, fellow wrestler-turned-actor Tor Johnson, as well as some other big guys like uh, Italian boxer, wrestler of the day, Primo Canera. Um, uh, and anyway, uh, this led to a whole career of heavy roles for Davis, and here he is as our zombie. He's got a great look for film, too, though. He's got like mm-hmm. a very kind of square head and, and sharp features. He's He's good. Yeah, unlike Tor, I think he mostly played like heavies and like uh, you know uh, enforcers and so forth, as opposed to outright monsters. Wait, this wasn't one of the communist saboteur wrestlers in uh, the Mighty Tobor, was it? No, that was a different guy. But that was another one where you could tell, like the way he was. I think it was the bumping in that one, like the way he was falling down. You know, uh-huh. you could tell. Okay, this guy's a wrestler. He's got to be. And you know, sure enough, once you know the signs, it's pretty clear. All right. Well, so anyway, after uh, the the zombie just uh, breaks Hennessy in half like a cracker, Hennessy's goons run in and start shooting at the zombie, uh, but he seems unbothered by bullets. I think there are some squibs in this scene that look pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a number of effects in the film where people are like shooting through zombies. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it looks believable. A lot of films would just have the maybe you're having the gun actually fire blanks and the rest is just implied. Yeah, it's just a mid shot. You don't like see it. But this was like you see like these squibs exploding out the back of the zombie's uh, suit jacket. Yeah. But anyway, the zombie goes out the window. He gets in the car and drives away. Uh, Meanwhile, we see back in the laboratory where the two guys are watching zombie ITV. The guy holding the microphone starts saying, come back home, come back home. So it's clear what's it's starting to become clear what's going on this is like a remote controlled zombie or somnambulist or something here uh and then there's a kind of funny moment where the other guy grabs the microphone like the scientist takes it from the gangster guy and he starts saying in a german accent get in the automobile get in the automobile the automobile get inside (laughs) so eventually the zombie obeys and then uh, the gangster guy, this is this is Buchanan, and we already know that because he was the one talking through the zombie. Remember Buchanan, I am him. Mm-hmm. And the scientist, this is Dr. Steig, they, they chatter about uh, how the zombies work. Uh, Buchanan is afraid that the zombie won't make it back because of his gunshot wounds, but Steig says that as long as he still has an ounce of fluid in his body, he'll keep moving. And when these creatures are damaged or run low on power, they automatically return to the home base. Like a Roomba. Oh, yeah, kind of like that. Uh, But there's also, you can see emerging some conflict between Buchanan and Steig at at Zombie Mission Control. Buchanan is pleased. He's like, all right, that was the first of them, first of the people on my my murder list. But there are more we have to send our zombies after. And then Steig kind of breaks into a lament. He's like, oh, you know, I invented these remote control zombies, hoping that they could be used to help humanity because they could do tasks that were dangerous for living workers. But now that I'm working with Buchanan, he's like, all you want to do is see people die. But Buchanan protests. He's like, look, I don't just want to see people die. I want to see particular people die (laughs) and I'll get them all. After this Buchanan and Steig 
go into the first of many in the movie, almost ritualistic scenes of dressing in these lead-lined suits with respirator hoses and crawling through a plastic-lined tunnel into the operating room, which we uh, I th- we assume must be flooded with radiation. Uh, this is kind of the storage room for more zombies like our spine cruncher friend. And these are the titular creatures with the atom brains. Now, while in the radioactive room, they have to decommission a couple of atom brain dudes who have deteriorated beyond use. Uh, because Steig explains different parts of the body die at different times. And Buchanan's like, does the brain still die first? And Steig says, always. The brain always dies first. They didn't have an acid vat for this, though. This would have been a great time to have an acid vat. Oh, yeah. You know, you think that the, the they say it so um, portentously, you almost think that the brain always dies first is going to become a plot point. But I don't think it does. That's, I think that this is something we can chalk up to, but not only the script of the performances here, but there are a lot of lines like this that, that work far, far better than they, they, they probably, that they could have or certainly should have, you know, it's like, it, this is not an important detail, but, uh, you know, it, it still kind of zings and sticks with you. And I don't think this is Granger speaking this line. I think this is, uh, this is the, the, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. But all right, uh, that's sort of the setup for the film. You start to see like what the supernatural or, or science fiction premise is. What comes next in this kind of movie? Police arrive on the scene, of course, investigators. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is our hero who seems to be, I'm going to say that that the hero character is the product of a compromise in the writer's room. They went something like this. It's, let's see, uh, should our leading man be a cop or a scientist? Uh, what if he was both? <laughs> so our hero, Chet Walker, is some kind of science cop. He is a cop, but he heads up a forensic laboratory full of microscopes and glass slides and Geiger counters. And he seems to be, I don't know, like a Mr. Wizard detective. He's like where the police come to consult his genius in order to solve murder cases, but they also don't just refer evidence to him. He's like always first on the scene investigating the crime. Yeah, this is kind of like the the 1950s version of CSI, I guess, you know, where you have the yeah. uh, the forensic expert who's also just very, very, and perhaps uh, uh, unrealistically front and center of, of any investigation. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so Chet and colleagues are on scene at the casino where Hennessy got crunched like a Ritz cracker, and they discover several interesting things. Uh, They say whoever broke in was able to bend back the iron bars outside the window with his bare hands. They notice the perpetrator did not bother to steal the money from the safe. Uh, They say he was shot, leaving behind a trail of blood, and yet was still able to escape. And then finally, they discover that his blood, his fingerprints, and his footprints all glow in the dark. Also, in this scene, there is the beginning of a theme where Chet is followed around by a gang of, uh, I don't know, like five to seven excitable and fairly credulous reporters who are all slobbering for a story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the reporters are like, how did he bend those bars? And Chet says, maybe he ate all his vitamins. And the reporter is like, vitamins? (laughs) Like he thinks, oh, maybe this is a real scoop. I don't know. But about <laughs> vitamins, vitamins behind uh, iron bar killing. Uh, I think in this scene, we also meet Chet's friend, Dave, who is some other kind of cop. Is he supposed to be like FBI or something or, or police captain? He, he seems in some way separate from whatever Chet is. Yeah. Yeah. I can never completely nail it down. Um, I will I will throw in that Dave is played by S. John Lawner, who lived 1919 through 2006, mostly did small roles, but appears in Hitchcock's Marnie from 64, um, Mommy Dearest from 81, and was also in both The Werewolf in 56 and I Was a Teenage Werewolf from 57. Uh, so back at the lab. Chet analyzes the luminous residue and the blood left behind at the crime scene. He discovers that the blood is not blood at all. It's some kind of artificial concoction containing microscopic uh, crystals. And then the question is, why does it all glow? Well, Chet starts holding a Geiger counter up to it, and it start, it's going nuts. And uh, Dr. Walker's like, this so-called blood is radioactive. Dave says, dangerously so? Chet responds, plus nine. 
Yeah, doesn't he throw in, like, you wouldn't want to be around this stuff for long? He sets yeah. it back on the desk and continues <laughs> yeah, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just put it on the desk and keep talking, yeah. So uh, while leaving the lab, Chet is again intercepted by the reporters. They demand a story, and Chet tells them that Hennessy was killed by, quote, a creature with atom rays of superhuman strength and a creature that cannot be killed by bullets. Uh, and the reporters are angered by this because they think he is pulling their leg. And one of the reporters threatens to misspell Chet Walker's name, which this sent me down a rabbit hole of what would be the best way to misspell Chet Walker? I'm going to say like Cheb Wonker. Mm, yeah, it's a delicate balance because you don't, you don't want to put anything in the in the paper that will get you in trouble. You just got to mm. get it, get it uh, you know, the, the right level of insulting without being uh, profane. But anyway, I like this this one little back and forth here because it's like, yeah, I'll just tell you straight up what's going on with the zombie and dare you to print it. Dare you to take me seriously. So the next morning, Dave comes to Chet's house and he's greeted by Chet's wife, Joyce. This is when we first meet uh, uh, Chet's family. We find out he's not just any science cop. This is a science cop of the family. So he's got a wife named Joyce and a daughter named Penny. Penny has a cherished doll named Henrietta. And this leads to a weird exchange where Dave, who I think is like trying to feed either Penny or the doll cereal. Uh, but Dave is like, you know, I used to go with a girl named Henrietta. And Penny says, what happened to her? And Dave says, what happened to her shouldn't happen to your doll. She married a con man. <laughs> Dave. Strange. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, this is not a social call. Uh, Dave is here to discuss work. He has some alarming news. They got back a match on the fingerprints found at the crime scene. They belong to a convicted criminal who died in jail 24 days ago. Mm. From here we go to, uh, let's see, it's been a few minutes since we had a murder in this movie. We've got to have another Adam Brain murder. So... Now we cut to District Attorney McGraw, who we met uh, at the first crime scene earlier. I think he had a line that was something like, look, I'm just a district attorney, not a chemist. <laughs> McGraw is getting in his car in his garage when he is startled by a strange man in a mechanic's jumpsuit. It looks kind of like Michael Myers without a mask. Uh, and the man says, I'm from Buchanan. If you know that, you know why I'm here. It's no use, McGraw. And then he reaches into McGraw's car and yanks the steering wheel out of its housing. And he says, I said I would see you die. I am watching you now. Hmm. I think there's like an implied therefore, like he's saying, I said I would see you die. I can see you now. Therefore, you're going to die. Well, Buchanan knows he, he only has so much time to gloat. He's got to get get to it with this remote death via reanimated corpse. Right. So this Adam Brain lifts McGraw up by the neck and then crunches him somehow, does another crunchy thing. So Chet and Dave arrive at the murder scene in the garage, and uh, there is a doctor on site who's like, yes, of course, I already gave his wife a sedative. It is 1955. I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but uh, he also concludes that McGraw was killed by having his bones crushed by a single hand. Uh, I can deduce that by looking at him somehow. And this leads Chet and Dave to conclude that it was the same murderer as Hennessy. Uh, but that doesn't make sense, they say, because Hennessy, he was some kind of gangland boss and McGraw was a district attorney. So that was like cop and criminal. They're on opposite sides. How would they share a common enemy? 
Well, there are more clues. McGraw's car is radioactive now, and the fingerprints of the murderer uh, match a man who died a few weeks ago. So another dead man's fingerprints are on the scene. Uh, and the reporters show back up again They're You know, they go up to Chet and they're like, hey, were you actually serious about these murders being done by a thing with a brain charged by atom rays? And Chet's like, yes, I was serious. And then the reporters say, hot dog, you know, we had a scoop. And we didn't even know it. And then they all run off together. I'm like, is that a scoop if all <laughs> nine of you got it at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Are they all working for the same paper? That's <laughs> this. This is the budget for this newspaper is a bit in question. They also they don't like stop to get a quote or ask any follow up nope. questions. They just he just confirms it was Adam Brains and they're like, OK, we got a story and they run off. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> OK. After this, we go to one of my favorite characters in the movie who is uh, is his name Dick Cutting. Dick Cutting, yes. Yeah, okay. So we go to Dick Cutting is a man who looks like he should be playing mm, like a, a commander in the Galactic Empire in Star Wars. He has that kind of, you know, he should be Admiral Cutting. Played by Richard H. Cutting, who lived 1912 through 1972. Wait, that's his real name? Apparently, yeah. He was okay. also in Attack of the Crab Monsters in South Pacific. <laughs> oh, I didn't recognize him from uh, Crab Monsters. Well, let's see, which one was he? Is he the scientist in it? I'll, I'll have to come back and Dr. figure Dr. James out. Carson. Okay, okay. Uh, so he, he's got a news monologue, which is just tremendous. His scenes are one, <laughs> some of my favorite stuff in the film. So he says, hello, yes. ladies and gentlemen. He's sitting at like a very uh, nice looking desk. And then behind him, there's a shelf full of what looked like very old books. You know, they're like, I don't know, first editions or something. He says, hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dick Cutting with today's commentary on the news. As you know, today's story hinges around the killing of District Attorney McGraw, whose body was found today in his garage, murdered in much the same manner as Hennessy was. What connection can the murder have to Hennessy, who was obviously a gangland boss, is unknown at present. Dr. Chet Walker of the police laboratory has given out a fantastic story so incredible that one can lend it little credence. Dr. Walker is of the opinion that these crimes are being perpetrated by dead men. Yes, I said dead men, restored to life in some unknown manner by being charged with atom rays, which gives them superhuman strength and makes them impervious to bullets. Well, if you want to believe that story, you can. And then cut to Buchanan switching off the TV angrily. <laughs> There'll be more from Dick Cutting here in a bit. He, it gets even better. Today's commentary on the news. Filmed in what just looks like a lawyer's office as opposed to um, like a TV studio or something. Except there are curtains on the wall in the background. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Buchanan is mad that I guess that they figured out the whole scheme. And now even though Dick Cutting does not lend it any credence, he's, it's, he's mad just to hear it being spoken by the lips of Dick Cutting, even if to be dismissed. Yes. So Buchanan says, uh, this Dr. Walker has quite the imagination. And then Steig says, the kind of imagination that could prove dangerous to us. And then Buchanan says, you mean the kind of imagination that could prove dangerous to him? Mm -hmm. Ooh, Buchanan is ruthless. 
Now, next, we get another what I thought was a highlight of the film, which is the meeting at City Hall scene. This is like (laughs) 22, 23 minutes in. Uh, Walker meets with the mayor and a bunch of bigwigs, including a General Saunders. And, oh, my God, this guy's line deliveries. I don't know if you (laughs) found them as hilarious as I did, but they're just perfect. He's... I don't know if I can do an impression, but, the, you know, they're they're introducing everybody and he's like, I'm from the military. May I ask how this concerns me? <laughs> uh, so Chet explains the uh, the creature with the atom brain theory of the case by talking about Faraday's experiments with a frog's leg, you know, animating mm-hmm. it with electricity. He's like, what if we could do the same thing, but with a human with atomic rays? And uh, that, you know, basically like, Colonel Sanders is, uh, oh, wait, no, is that his name? Colonel, <laughs> uh, no, sorry, General Saunders. <laughs> the yeah. genuine mistake here. Okay. General Saunders, uh, he says, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Chet requests trucks and planes that can detect radiation so that they can find the headquarters of, uh, of the atom brain monsters. And General Saunders is like, I'll get you your planes. <laughs> Oh man! So now the the investigation into the the atom creatures, the atom brain creatures, is about to have military support. This is I think we've talked about this before, but this is a way that a lot of stories from this era are structured that makes them, I think, not nearly as as thrilling or high tension as they could be, just in the plot wise, because it basically has the heroes aligned with like powerful forces and many, you know, lots of backup, like the police and the military are aligned with the heroes helping search out the isolated besieged bad guys. Yeah. All, all of the lawful good (laughs) agencies uh, are going to align and will overcome the, I guess, lawful evil or maybe chaotic evil forces of the villain. Like there's not really, there's no conflict among them. There's no question of competence. Um, it's just a matter of time, really. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so somewhere in here, there is a plot where Buchanan and Steig send a road assassin after Chet Walker. Like They figured out that he's on to them, and they get this guy in a car, like, trying to chase him down and run him off the road. But instead, they just follow him to a military airfield where they're like, oh, actually, we need to do surveillance. This guy's got something big cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next, there is a scene at Chet and Joyce's house, and I thought the sequence of this whole scene, the arc here is hilarious uh so first chet comes home chet and joyce are all over each other of course then they announce it's time for dinner then joyce sees a newspaper that has a banner headline do dead men walk city streets Uh, (laughs) authorities tracking down all clues also some other headlines i see building code under fire Mm. oh man i feel that that one was going to be the lead but then this dead men walking the street thing popped up Exactly. So Joyce gets the paper. She says, it's not true, is it? I assume she's not talking about the building code. She means, like, (laughs) is it true about the dead men? Uh, And Chet says, uh, better hide it from Penny. Say, I could use a really nice cold martini. Uh, So Joyce makes him one. And then as she is making him a nice cold martini, she's like, well, Penny's out uh, playing in the street where the atomic brains are. Is, Is that safe? And uh, Dr. Chet says, there seems to be some sort of definite pattern. Can't put my finger on it, but I do know that Hennessy and McGraw were killed for a reason. And then Joyce is like, well, it's all right then. He didn't really answer the question. And Chet says, well, for a while, I don't think they've gotten around to indiscriminate killings yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even part of the plan as as has been described by, uh, by, by Buchanan. Uh, they are very specific killings. These are not random killings. These are s- specific vengeance killings. But so Chet seems to be like, yes, it is okay for Penny to play in the street with the Adam brains. And then Penny comes inside. She asks for the newspaper because she wants to read the funnies. And they lie and tell her it didn't come today. 
Then she wants to turn on the TV and they lie and tell her the TV is broken. You know, must need new tubes or something. Then Chet gets his martini and he's like, Ooh, I've been thinking about this all day. And then Dave arrives. Captain Dave here arrives to explain more Adam brain news. And then they send Penny to her room so she can't hear the conversation. And they have a whole big argument about it. Penny's like, you know, Oh, I, you know, I promise not to bother them. They're like, no, you must go. I think they tell her to go to her room and, like, punish Henrietta, the the doll yeah. or something. So there is this persistent theme about them systematically hiding uh, knowledge of danger from Penny while actually not protecting her from the danger itself. Yeah, I, and, of course, I think you could make a lot out of that, too, as a, as a commentary on people growing up in the 1950s and even some subsequent decades, you know. Um, not so much as it concerns the threat of atom-brained uh, walking corpses, but various other issues in life. You know, this this sense of being overly protective in one way, but not preparing a child at all for the realities of, well, in this case, the walking dead. Right. So Dave has some uh, information. He explains the backstory that he pieced together that could make sense of all this. There was this guy, Buchanan, the old crime boss in town, who many years ago was uh, tried and convicted of crime and then sent into exile in Italy. What? Was this like a common punishment in the 1940s? So you're convicted of being a mafia boss and instead of going to prison, you're sent to Italy. Yeah, I I had the same uh, head scratching situation with this detail and I was looking it up. Um, and I can't find anything that would support this as an actual reality. I think you can get into some, there's just some murky stuff about U.S. states being able to exile people from a given state, but I didn't come across anything regarding like judicial exile. Uh, like unless Buchanan was an Italian national, I guess maybe that would make sense, but there's nothing to indicate that he is or no. was. This is, uh, this his is, name is Buchanan. I yeah. Think that's a Scottish <laughs> name. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's maybe there's just something lost in, um, uh, in, in uh, rewrites to the script. Like it's one thing if he was living in exile because he fled the law, like that would seem to match up. But this idea of being exiled, even in like the 1940s to another country because you were a, a criminal, career criminal, I just don't know if that makes any sense at all. Well, anyway, apparently when he was convicted, he stood up in court and swore revenge on D.A. McGraw and everybody else who had testified against him at trial, which included Hennessy, who was his number two, uh, but also included three other guys. And we'll meet them in a minute. Uh, we also will eventually learn via these uh, repeated cables that they received from police in Rome that while Buchanan was there, he made friends with a German scientist named Steig who did weird experiments on dogs, cats, and monkeys involving atomic radiation. So it's all coming together now for the mm -hmm. police investigators. Uh, but they think, okay, these other three guys who testified against Buchanan, they are in danger, so we got to round them up. Uh, and then at the very end of the scene, there's a strange thing where Joyce offers Chet a second martini to take in the car with him. Uh, he turns it down, so she chugs it and then has a coughing fit. So it's like she can't hang. <laughs> strange. Like, even if it doesn't make sense, it's like the script is economic. They're fitting a lot of stuff in. There's no wasted space, even if the, we don't really understand what the point is. Right. But we know what's going to happen next, right? Uh, Buchanan's going to be sending Adam Brainiacs to kill the three more guys, the others who mm -hmm. testified against him. 
the police offer to let those guys stay in jail for their own protection, but they turn it down. They're like, no, I want to be at home. Now we're about, I think at the 34 minute mark here. And there's, oh, we, we're going to check back in with Dick Cutting for oh just an God. absolutely perfect newscast that brings to mind, um, the uh, the newscaster from The Simpsons. <laughs> There's yeah. this great sort of issuing of an apology concerning the Adam Brain creatures. I, for one, welcome our new Adam Brain overlords. Yes. Uh, Dick, according Dick Cutting, so he says, uh, and with the murder of Jason. Oh, so one of the guys, uh, one of the three guys, gets murdered. Uh, Dick Cutting says, and with the murder of Jason Franchot last night, I must apologize for my recent skepticism regarding these atomic creatures. It seems they do exist and they are prowling the street. (laughs) I love it. But I think there's a subtext also, which is like, but please do allow your children to continue to play in the street. We don't want them to know there could be any danger. (laughs) And now a message from our sponsor, uh, you know, uh, Healthy Lung Cigarettes. I do feel like this movie was sponsored by pipe smoke. There, there's a lot of like Chet yeah. is always smoking a pipe. There are scenes where two characters having a conversation, smoking pipes at the same time. I haven't seen this much pipe smoke since Lord of the Rings. We're going to get to a pipe scene in a minute. So, uh, but first, there are those planes and trucks that uh, that Chet requested earlier. They've got radium finders equipped, and they're scanning the city to find Adam Brain HQ. Uh, and there's a scene where Steig is out on the town. I think he's out getting medicine to treat his radiation poisoning. Mm-hmm. And he ducks into a bar to hide from the military because they're like doing a house to house with their bayonets out, I guess, looking for, I don't know, any scientists. I don't know exactly <laughs> what but they're running around with. I guess they've got Geiger counters. Maybe they're scanning people to see, like, are you radioactive? Uh, so he runs into a bar to hide, orders a beer, and then runs out through the back door, leaves radiation on his beer, and they find that there. But they're like, oh, okay, so we're looking for this German accent guy. <laughs> then there is a research segment of the film. Uh, Rob, I think you recently alluded to there's a, like, in each uh, campaign of Arkham Horror, there's like a research segment. Yeah. Yep. This is our, our research segment for sure. Chet goes to consult a neurologist friend of his about Steig and his research. Uh, He learns all about atom brain experiments, actually not atom brain experiments. He learns about, so I think the thing is he learns that there have been experiments that you can use electrodes to remotely control the behavior of other creatures like dogs. So they watch a film strip with an electric dog. That is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Yes, you'll never see uh, <laughs> fictional footage of uh, dog mad science experiments that is so adorable. Because yeah, there's the you know, the the implication of, of on some level is that this is cruel and monstrous, but you don't get that from the footage because it's clearly like somebody's beloved pet dog with mm. a couple of wires attached to its collar or something, or maybe just kind of like tucked into its fur. And then uh-huh. it's just doing dog stuff. They're like, look, it barks on command. Look, it sits down <laughs> and so forth. Oh, how can you imagine a dog doing something on command? Uh, <laughs> but no, they're doing it by controlling its brain. But also it's funny because the dog is like, they're like you here by flipping this electrode, you can make it vicious. And then it goes, <laughs> but it's the cutest dog. So it, it just, is. It's cute viciousness. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I don't know what kind of dog, like a bingy dog, you know, yeah. that, that level of dog. So that's the like electric control. But then 
I think they, they make the bridge to the atom brain thing by saying, oh, but uh, could you control a dead person with this kind of method? And the guy's like, no, because uh, you wouldn't have the energy to power the body if they were no longer alive. But then Chad is like, what if you used atom rays? And then the guy's like, oh, no, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, he's like, we're not there yet. But kind of implying, like, it's a good idea, though. Like, this is a good way to to use corpses, but we're just not there yet. But this whole scene, they're just digging into some pipes. Yeah, yeah. Just so much pipe smoking. They both have one going. Um, uh, he's like, try uh, some of my tobacco blend. Yeah. Now, from here, there is a subplot where Buchanan and Steig resort to terrorism. To, they're trying to get the army to stop scanning with their radium finders. So they have one of the uh, atom brains call in from a payphone to the army I guess, <laughs> to call somebody <laughs> and say, like, stop your investigation or there will be disasters. Uh, and, of course, the authorities don't negotiate with atom brains, so... They, they don't stop. And then we are treated to stock footage of like trains derailing and mountains exploding and stuff. We see a headline in the newspaper that says plane, bus and rail crashes stir public. Really a miscalculation on Buchanan's part, because he all he's doing is antagonizing the military at this point. If he really wanted the heat to die down, they should have just stopped doing atom brains for a little bit. Yeah. Also, doesn't he have just like three more murders left to complete his his agenda here? I think he did one of the three, so he's got two okay. more. Two murders left, and you're going to go ahead and, and rile up the military? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like he should keep his eye on the ball. Like, they're really getting sidetracked. Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be harder to accomplish plane, bus, and rail crashes than to just finish his business. Yeah. But, oh, no, then we get to a scene where uh, Dave, Chet's friend, gets Adam-brained. He gets attacked by... I think the one of the three guys who uh, was on the murder list, the accountant, the former accountant of Buchanan, he gets mm -hmm. killed in his house by an atom brain. He gets turned into an atom brain. He kills Dave in Dave's car, and then Dave gets atom brained. And we get to see the is this the atom brain itself? I could I didn't I couldn't make out all the detail when I was well, viewing it. It's just some sort of implied some sort of like thing with wires on it that's going to go into the open cranium because I don't know. Do we mention that all the atom brains have like what appears to be stitching across their forehead. Yeah, that their head has been opened up like a like a Pez dispenser and something is inserted in it. The thing is some kind of uh, electrode brain plate. So I think they install the plate in the brain to send electrodes down into the brain tissue to control the body remotely. And then they power it with the atom rays. Hmm. So they, they atom brain Dave and then they get Dave talking. They're like testing him out. Uh, they find that he can use his own vocal cords, so he won't sound like Buchanan when he talks. He'll sound like Dave. But they're like, get you, they're like, uh, Dave, uh, you know, Captain Harris, say your name. And he goes, my name is David Harris, homicide squad. <laughs> and then they tuck a knife in his pants and they send him on his way. I think they're sending him to try to go kill Chet Walker, the main guy. Yeah, yeah. And since he can talk like Dave, he's more of an infiltration unit at this point. 
So there is a scene that I think is supposed to be very tense, but actually was mostly funny, where Dave goes to Chet's house. Chet's not home, but Joyce and Penny are there. He comes to the door and uh, Penny's like, who is it? And he goes, my name is David Harris, Captain <laughs> Harris, Homicide Squad. And she lets him in. And Joyce is like, oh, why so formal, Dave? You sound terrible. Are you coming down with a cold? And he's playing with Penny's dolly while uh, Penny uh, goes into the kitchen to talk to her mom. And then Joyce uh, just happens to let slip. She's like, oh, Chet had a brainstorm this morning, Dave. Something about giving out phony information to Buchanan about where the men in protective custody are when actually they are at the county jail. Mm. So now not realizing that Dave is actually Adam Brain Dave and now Buchanan has that information. You know where he's going. He's going to the county jail to get his revenge. But the end of the scene finally made sense, sort of, of uh, some of the lyrics from the Rocky Erickson song, which, again, I'd never seen the movie before, so I didn't know what this referred to. But there are some lyrics that say, threw the doll right down, ripped its guts off and threw it on the ground. And at the end of the scene, Penny comes back into the room. Dave is gone, but she finds her doll uh, just smashed to pieces on the floor. If you're not familiar with the the lyrics of Rocky Erickson's songs, um, they they often do have this kind of like stream of consciousness kind of quality to them and may seem kind of cryptic and hard to decipher and don't always in, include proper grammar, but often uses improper grammar in ways that feel intentional and important to whatever he was trying to get across. Right. Like the the preposition ripped its guts off instead yeah. of out. Interesting. And it doesn't have guts. It's a doll. Yeah. So Adam Brain Dave goes to get his revenge. Buchanan sends him to the jail where he, he kills the other two uh, witnesses. And then after that, Adam Brain Dave tries to kill Chet because Chet gets into a car with him. And then they're like, crash the car, smash it to pieces. But Chet jumps out of the car in time to save himself, though. I don't know if you jump out of a speeding car, that's you're, you're going to get hurt. That's not good for you. Yeah, not in, not in movies, though. In movies, you can just jump out of them and you're fine. It's the same principle as, like, uh, if you jump up right before the pla crashing plane hits the ground, yeah. you'll be okay. Yeah. But after this uh, crash, the police recover Adam Brain Dave. Adam Brain Dave is damaged, so he's no longer following orders from Buchanan. Uh, but so they, like, they check him out and they're like, oh, wow, look at all the electrodes in his brain. But he's recovers some functionality while in the hospital does another window stunt, like he pushes the glass out mm -hmm. of a window and then jumps out the window to shamble back to Adam Brain HQ. Uh, this leads the police and the military right to the bad guys. And then we have our final showdown. Buchanan gets mad at Steig for some reason. I don't remember why, actually. Buchanan just kills Steig. I think and Steig then, finally is like, I can't take it anymore. This is too much murder. I wasn't in it for the murder. I was just in it for the uh, resurrection of the dead. Yeah. And so he brains him with a with a uh, some sort of like a, a wrench or something before he can destroy the machine. Yeah. Uh, so Buchanan, then uh, he gets all of his atom brains active at once. There's like 10 of them. And he's like, go out, attack the police, kill them all. So there is a big fight uh, where the police are all fighting with atom brains on the lawn. And then Chet has to go inside and smash up the machine. Uh, but before he can do that, Buchanan corners him. And there's like a there's a showdown there. But ultimately, Buchanan is destroyed by his own uh, wrath. Mm hmm. 
because one of the atom brains comes in and uh, and grabs. I, I think it's the atom brain Dave. Maybe comes in and uh, grabs Buchanan and strangles him, kills him. Yeah, destroyed by his own atom brains. A uh, uh, fitting ending there. Yeah, and then they destroy the atom ray machine, and that powers down all of the atom brains on the lawn, and uh, and good prevails over evil. Pretty pretty solid ending, mostly by the books. I loved the 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 battle on the lawn between the atom brains and <laughs> law and military. Uh, it was it was better than I expected it to be. And again, you uh-huh. get the people you know firing uh, bullets through the atom brains and a lot of like crunching and so forth. But then we we close things out though uh, with the family unit at the the dinner table um, with uh, um, with with Chet and his family. And that's enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we get this super weird ending where uh, the little girl, what's her name? Henrietta? No, Henrietta's the doll that got its oh, guts yes, ripped off. Uh, the girl is Penny. Penny. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Penny is asking about Uncle Dave. She's like, where's Uncle Dave? And they don't tell her that he's dead. They're like, oh, he's gone for a little while, which is crazy, right? Because it's one thing to you know, obviously you want to keep it age appropriate. You don't have to tell her that a career criminal and a mad scientist murdered him and then stuffed his brain with electrodes and reanimated his corpse and made it do murders. But to just be like, oh, the Uncle Dave went away for a little bit. He's on a vacation. No, no, Uncle yeah. Dave is dead. Like, at least tell her he's dead. He went up to an atom farm upstate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. And, and perhaps, you know, telling of, um, uh, of how you know we approached uh, the protection uh, of of our children in in previous decades. I don't know. All right. Well, that's all I got to say about creature with the atom brain. Why is he acting so strange? It's because he is a creature with an atom brain. The <laughs> mystery is solved. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a fun one. Uh, if you enjoy fifties B movies, uh, this is a a solid and entertaining good time. You know, it's again, it's not not top tier for genre and time period, but but pretty solid. It's, it's never boring. Uh, there, there's a lot, lot to love here. As always, we'd love to hear from everyone out there. If you have thoughts on the movie of the week, Creature with the Atom Brain, if you have thoughts on, uh, on the music of Rocky Erickson as it relates to this movie or just in general, well, yeah, right in. We'd love to hear from you about that as well. A reminder that we're primarily a science podcast here at Stuff to Blow Your Mind with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. If you want to see a complete list of the movies we've covered uh, over the years here for Weird House Cinema, uh, you can go to letterbox.com. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-B.com. We have a profile there called Weird House, and we have a list of all the movies we've covered. And you can do all sorts of neat filters to see, like, what, what decades and, you know, what genres and so forth. And uh, I also blog about these at SamutaMusic.com. I'll definitely do a blog post for this movie because I want to make sure that I throw in um, somewhere where you can stream that Rocky Erickson song and compare it to the film. Huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. 
Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with with Zumo Play.